I was sitting with somebody last week who's from Italy and such a nice guy. Um, and I liked him, you know, we got along. And he was like, you know, one of the weirdest things about being here is people dating multiple people at the same time. He's like, and I know that's culturally acceptable and that's fine. And I was wrapping up because I had a date immediately after meeting him. <laughs> to I'd go somewhere. I'd pretend to go somewhere else. Oh, yeah, what a weird cultural concept. <laughs> anyway, I'm going this way and I went the wrong direction just to separate. Do you juggle? Do I juggle? <laughs> yeah, do you juggle. We should define what juggling means. Well. Make sure I'm answering the right question here. Do you juggle women? Do you have to be in a relationship to be juggling? Or are we referring to just like dating multiple people at the same time? Ah, uh, that's where it gets real complex. It does. So, all right. In, in a general sense, yes. Like every time I go on a first date with somebody, mm-hmm. I do not delete my apps and say, all right, now I'm with you. Okay. Does that answer the question at all? Yeah. So, like, is there some principle that guides your transition from, you know, first date, multiple dates, to dating? Define the relationship. I've been in situations where I've gone out with somebody, mm-hmm. and then throughout the week I have dates with other people, and then maybe, like, a second date with one or two of them, but then, like, still dating other people. It's not until you get to a place where it's like, all right, we really like each other. I want to be exclusive with you. I want you to be my girlfriend, my boyfriend. Let's stop dating other people. And then both agreeing to it. Because there's a chance that the other person's not at that same spot, and that's a real good time to find that out. Until you have that conversation, like, juggling is kind of expected. So there's a term called roaching. Have you heard of this? I have not. It means that your partner is hiding... The fact that they are sleeping around. You know, you're talking about defining the relationship. If somebody just never mentions the fact that they've been dating around this whole time, is that considered roaching? I would say if it matters to you, if you're at a point in the relationship where you care if this other person's dating around, you should probably talk about it and ask and find out. This is kind of how I approach it. In terms of timeline, usually one of the first things that happens is, you know, at some point there's physical intimacy, right? And I will usually talk about like sexual health and sexual exclusivity and where they are in the context of like that situation. And that's usually a situation in which people are pretty honest, or at least I, you know, I hope that they would be, uh, because it's kind of serious, right? And no one's really that skeezy, I think, these days that they wouldn't talk about it openly. Um, But that's a good way to sort of bring up if, you know, they're dating other people as well. And then you kind of just get a feel for where they're at and what they're doing and whether or not you're comfortable with it. And then, you know, what you might be able to do more of based on what they're doing. You know, you can kind of reassess uh, at, at that kind of landmark point. And then defining the relationship is more of like a commitment thing, right? In terms of what they used to call going steady, right? Like the, <laughs> you know, it's just you and me and everything is exclusive. We're emotionally exclusive and physically exclusive. If that's how you're defining the relationship. I think there's, especially in the last 10 years when online dating has become more of a thing, there's an opportunity to say, I still want to date other people. 
ethical non-monogamy. Yeah. And people are very upfront with that. Mm-hmm. They'll say that in their profile. And that's why I think it's important to have that conversation because there's no reason to really lie about it. Like, the, if mm-hmm. you want to date other people, yes, I'm dating other people. Right. You have the freedom to, too. And if one of those people in that relationship aren't cool with that, well, that's a really good time to bring that up. Yeah. You don't want to be so vague about that. You want to kind of get that out in the open and say, all right, this is my expectation for where we're at now. We've gone on two or three dates. Things are going really well. I'm deleting my app. Where are you at? I don't necessarily think it's you're like obligated to have the I'm deleting the apps talk. I have deleted it when I have felt comfortable in a relationship. And I'm, you know, I the person I was dating may have stayed on. I don't even I don't know. But I knew at the time that, you know, he was there was there was no infidelity. One of the cutest experiences I had with a girl Mm -hmm. and this didn't end up working out, but just this particular situation was pretty, pretty great. I texted her. I was like, Hey, just so you know, I just deleted Tinder. She goes, Oh, I did too. But I screenshotted our conversation and I texted her the screenshots that I'd also taken of our conversation. So it's just like, I kind of want to like remember where we started. That's cute. Yeah. It was adorable. I wasn't going anywhere with that. It just just popped into my head. Yeah, that's really cute. Um, No, it's, you know, it's nice when everyone's on the same page, but I feel like if you're, you know, three or four months into a relationship and things are going well and, you know, maybe they don't want to delete it because they just, it's a crutch and they don't actually have any intention of meeting anyone or even looking for anything, but just knowing that it's there makes them more comfortable. I don't think that's a horrible thing. Really? I see that as a red flag. I see that as like having one foot in the door, one foot out. Where it's like you're, you like the idea of like this thing that we've got starting, mm-hmm. starting. Yeah. But you're not totally into it. But you know, you don't know how long it takes people to, like you don't know people's stories, right? Maybe mm. they're working on themselves and this is, it's a crutch, but it's something that they have every intention of getting rid of. It just takes them longer than it takes their partner. You know, I don't think it's something that you should judge people on. Um, and that's why, like, I generally, as long as I didn't feel that there was anything wrong in the relationship, I didn't really ask. And you know. I mean, I think you know when your partner is, is, is cheating on you. I feel like it would be really hard, at least in the relationships that I've been in. There's usually so much communication and contact and, you know, we know each other's families and friends and I know where they are like all the time. It depends on what you define as cheating though. I mean, yeah, it's probably easier to figure out if they're off sleeping with somebody, but there's also that emotional cheating where they're... They're not going to do that on Tinder. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Texting relationships stay texting relationships more, for a reason. They're more likely to cheat on you emotionally at work than they are on a dating app. The work wife thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't actually give much thought to the work wife. Because my thinking is, if you're going to dip your pen in the company ink, you're a poor decision maker. Mm-hmm. And that should reveal itself before I invest more in you. Um, because if you're going to do that, you're going to mess up all kinds of other things. So that's pretty telling, right? And you can always tell when your partner is emotionally withdrawing from you. Usually when that happens, I address it. And if there's nothing good that comes from it, then 
and that's it, right? I think like adversity and obstacles in relationships, either you overcome them and grow together or the universe has done you a favor. That's kind of always how I see it. If someone is going to cheat on you, better they do it sooner rather than later. Agreed, yeah. You know, if someone is going to... Everybody has a work wife and a work husband. And I don't need to hear about that. And you don't need to hear about my work husbands. They're usually in Plural. I mean, look. (laughs) (laughs) I work in a big building, all right? (laughs) It's fine. But, you know, that's, that's a work thing. And it doesn't have to be any more than that. Um, that's what, you know, that's what you need to get through your day. I think if somebody cheats in a relationship, either it's a bad relationship or that's a bad partner. Either way, you book it. Yep. And you're out. Yep. And you're free. And it sucks and it's painful and it's infidelity and it's deceit and it's, you've been wronged, but you're not continually being wronged further. I do think before dating apps, two weeks would be perfectly reasonable to say, yeah, let's call and keep in touch. Whereas now, the two weeks could mean 14 people later. Say you have an arrangement, right? Where you are either ethically non-monogamous or it's like early in one of your relationships and you are sexually active with more than one person. Mm -hmm. At what point do you talk about drugs and disease and all of that? I'd say it's, it's better to have the conversation before anything happens. Yeah. Like if you're going down that route, just in general, always use protection, whether Mm -hmm. you are trying to not get an STD or not get pregnant or whatever it is. Always, always, always use protection. Even if she's on like an IUD. If you're in a long-term committed relationship and you've both been tested while in that relationship, obviously then you guys, you know, you're starting at zero. You can do whatever you want. But like until you get to that point where both both parties are comfortable with whatever setup you have, you have to be as diligent as possible because you don't know what's out there. But whatever it is, is out there. Always use protection so that you're always safe. But have that conversation and ask, you know, do you, are you, are you drug and disease free? Some people will just put that on their profiles, which I think is wonderful. That usually comes with all kinds of other acronyms, which is also great. But what do you mean by drug free? I know what disease free means. So you can, um, so like you can contract diseases from, um, IV drug use. So that's, you know, that's another, that's another thing that people are concerned about is like needles you know, you can get a lot of bloodborne pathogens that way. It's something that people don't like talking about. You know, it affects us individually and as, you know, as a community. So I would say, you know, talk about it. And if you haven't been tested in a while, go get tested. And, you know, do it before. If you know that your relationship is headed in a certain direction, and if you want it to be headed in that direction, go get tested. It's, it doesn't take that long usually doesn't you know if it's not free it doesn't cost much so do it that's a good opportunity just to like be in an environment where if you have other health concerns you can kind of bring those up too absolutely already there yeah sexual health is very important and it's not taboo anymore actually i went to a street fest once it was like in andersonville or something and there was a tent where you could get tested for hiv 
It's kind of amazing. That's pretty cool. You just go there and get tested. Yeah. And there's great resources. I mean, everything from like your your local doctor's office to Planned Parenthood to... There are free clinics. Free clinics. Mm-hmm. And... Just Google it. Yeah. You'll find a resource. And if you're at like a university, they usually do it for free. I would see that as, you know, like if I, if I had the herp or had AIDS or wow. something as a black mark where like no one's going to want to be in a relationship with me. Uh-huh. Do you think that's the case? That no one would, would want to be in a relationship yeah. with you? Yeah. Like, are you marked then? Is that your... Uh, I mean, yes and no. I think there are dating apps for people with different diseases. That is my... I haven't searched, but I've heard that there are dating apps for people with herpes. I know that people are making a lot of moves in HIV and, you know, there's, there's a lot of really good research, but... I guess I mean more so like, like as, as a person going into a relationship... Would that, you know, if you had all the other boxes checked where you really liked a person, would that be a deal breaker? It depends. PrEP is like an antiviral that's supposed to be a prophylactic treatment to prevent you from contracting HIV. That's my understanding. Um, it's still fairly new to um, like the heterosexual world, right? I think it's much more well known in like gay communities, but I'm not going to lie. It's very limiting. You know, regardless of how low your viral load is and whether or not it is technically something that you can contract from somebody, there is a huge stigma. So, so just be honest about it. I mean, yes, yeah. there's probably people out there that are going to overlook that and say, you know what, you have that's just a problem that we're going to have to deal with amongst many other problems we're going to have to deal with in this relationship, but sure. like, I'm in it for you, and so... Yeah. I think it's easier to say that when someone says, you know, it's under control. I've been taking my antivirals and, um, you know, my viral load is, is, you know, whatever it is. And this is how health conscious I am. I can't say that I know anyone who would be okay with that, but I'm sure that there are people out there who would. Mm -hmm. What you want is so specific to who you're dating that it's kind of hard to put out there, I'm looking for this. And I think that that's where a lot of the disappointment comes from with the, the managing expectations. So you've gotten over the tough conversations. Mm-hmm. You know you like each other. You've gone on a couple dates. Mm-hmm. So things, you've been dating for like three or four months. Yeah, things are going well. Mm-hmm. Now what? <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of my very good friends, um, who I've known for like 25 years, He'd said something so brilliant to me, and I can't believe that I hadn't, you know, realized this prior to hearing it from him. He said, you know, the first three or four months of a relationship were totally scripted. And when he said that, it just, I took a second and I reflected back on, you know, multiple relationships and I thought, wow, like, it's really just the same thing over and over again. You know, tell me about your life, your day, your background, your family, how you grew up, where you grew up, what you've learned, just all of it. And there's a point where you've got nothing left to talk about. And if you haven't cultivated anything in that time together, then there really is nothing left to do. And that's it. So the real challenge that I think a lot of people face, and they wonder why, you know, they have these two, and I've heard a lot of people say that, well, I've dated, you know, someone for two months and three months and four months, um, and then it just kind of fizzled out. 
And that's what happens is that you haven't actually connected with that person. But how do we do that? How, how do we create do we a connection yeah. with someone beyond just learning about their life? Do you know how to do that? Oh, you're actually yeah, asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you how to do that. So, I mean, I should, right? I've been in enough like long-term relationships. I think you've got to be curious. And it's this process of continually learning about this other person. Because like you're in your 20s, your 30s. You've got 20 or 30 years of experience behind you. Mm-hmm. It's all fascinating. Yeah. It's just getting in and saying, all right, I want to learn about this. And figuring out a way that you fit into that. So finding their interests and things that they like, like that's the easy stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's getting into like their family. And how they grew up and their friends in grade school and their experiences there. All those insecurities, those ways that they feel incomplete as a person, that Mm -hmm. you're the person that's going to come in and kind of be there for them. You are the support system that they've been looking for. I think that's interesting because some people are used to being more vocal and vulnerable about their experiences. And it means less sometimes to them. I'm kind of like that. Uh, I'm pretty forthcoming about a lot of stuff. That doesn't necessarily make me connect but with someone. But that's the scripted part. That's sort of the the elevator pitch that you give, where it's like, all right, well, I'm going to talk about this thing, and I'm going to yeah. talk about this stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that you're leaving out of your experiences because it's too personal. Oh. I think that's the stuff that you get into after that that three-month mark or whatever the time period is, where it's like, all right, I, I trust this person now. Maybe that's the key thing is like, it's more than just, here's a person that I like hanging out with that has seen me naked and (laughs) we have a good time together. Mm -hmm. It's, I actually trust this person. Like, I feel like I can let them kind of hold me up and they're not going to drop me. So does that mean that you start feeling okay with being uncomfortable around them? Yeah. When you're talking about Yeah. I think you have to. Talking about other difficult things that aren't like sexual health. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Like the emotional equivalent of that? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. I think another thing that can help you build that foundation, and that's your ultimate goal, right, is to build a foundation with someone, is like doing things together. Big time, yeah. You know, the couple that plays together stays together, right? So whether that person is also your soulmate, or if you guys, you know, cook together, um, or, you know, have date nights, or whatever it is, I think the more experiences you share together, the stronger that foundation will be. Agreed, yeah. And I think that's the point, too, where you start to get into compromising when it comes to doing stuff together. You know, early on, you kind of do stuff that each of you like, or like you dabble in things that are unfamiliar that the other person likes. At the three-month mark, consider Assuming you've been doing stuff together pretty consistently, mm-hmm. now you're at a point where like you're not always doing what you both like together. You're mm-hmm. going shopping or going to sports events, you know, yeah. things that like you one or the other may not love doing. Sure. And that's kind of where you're really kind of proving that you're ready for a relationship. Yeah, or that you're committed to that person, yeah. I think that brings up a good point. Not only will you probably be doing things that aren't your favorite things to do, but you'll also probably be faced with like unexpected things that happen in life, right? Time goes by, things happen. And, you know, getting through any kind of adversity or obstacle will 
you know, bring you together or tear you apart. And if your goal is to stay together, anything that at first tests your relationship will eventually make it stronger. I think facing challenges together can also contribute to the strength of that foundation in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it just kind of takes time. Like these things, you don't force them. Like, yeah, it might not be three months. It could be six months or eight months or at whatever point, you know, you're kind of past everything that you do with everybody, right? When you're dating. And there's usually a point at which you think to yourself, am I ready to talk about this one thing with this person? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when you know Mm -hmm. that you're hitting that next stage in the relationship where things get, they might get a little dicey, you know, but, and certainly you're going to be tested, but this is like the real life relationship. Not to say that the honeymoon is over because hopefully, you know, the part that everyone's really referring to never stops being good. But, (laughs) you know, I think that's the part where like emotionally, mentally, it becomes more of a challenge, but it also becomes much, much more rewarding. I think that's what everybody wants is someone to come home to that they can rely on that they respect who respects them who you know they can share their life with yeah but part of that sharing i mean i mentioned with you know events that you go to or activities you do like the compromise especially if you've been single for a while you've established this identity set in your ways yeah Mm -hmm. these are the things i like doing this is who i am this is my bedtime. This is how I eat. <laughs> Stop know. talking about me. <laughs> yeah. How does that play into this dating game? Do you have to lose yourself? Can you preserve any of that? Like, what's the right way to go about doing that? I would say it is probably a little bit of everything. So, first thing is that you can totally screen for people with a similar lifestyle. You don't have to meal plan on the same day, but like, you know, if you're active, someone who's very active, if you are a morning person, someone who's a morning person, right? Like you can look, you know, if you're a morning person, um, you don't stay up late, right? That's not very difficult to find. Everyone's tired, (laughs) especially in their thirties. But there's, there's sort of these big deal breakers in terms of lifestyle, right? Exercise, diet, smoking, drinking, this and that. So I think that's stuff that you can screen for pretty early on. And you can talk to people about what they do socially. And you can usually tell that, you know, they're out late if they're texting you at two in the morning with a, you know, W-I-D question mark or a you up, you know, you can tell a lot about a person from just those initial interactions. But I think once you get past sort of the big things that are like not sustainable, right? If you were to have someone in your life who's, you know, partying all night and this and that, right? Once you get past that, you are going to have to compromise. Not just a little, but like a lot because it's kind of an everyday thing, right? Every day you wake up next to your partner and you decide that you want to be with them. To go back to the love languages, every day you're asking yourself, how can I show them that I love them? Right? And both of you are supposed to do this kind of in unison. And that's ideal, but that's what we're that's what we should strive for. So you're gonna have to compromise every day. I think it's totally okay to have preferences in terms of, you know, big lifestyle things that usually have to do with like health and wellness. But you know, if you like sports and your partner doesn't, 
they're not obligated to always go with you. It's okay to do things separately and have your own lives and have your own interests. And the great thing about having boundaries in a relationship, especially when it comes to hobbies and lifestyle choices, is that you can separate and have time away from each other in social environments, and then you can come together and talk about it like you did when you were dating. There is that healthy distance that provides some mystery and some excitement and, you know, some longing rather than just having someone tag along to everything you do and have that person eventually resent you for that. That's not, that's not fun. That's horrible. It's not healthy. And usually relationships like that don't last. Yeah, agreed. It's almost like you spend like the first few months dating and spending all that time together things start getting real when you're able to not do everything together like when you're able to kind of go back to being not so much single but like realizing that you each have your own interests and respecting each other's place in that and again communication is key in this because like you've got to be able to say hey I don't love going to baseball games like I'll go with you if it's a special occasion or whatever but like this once a week thing I can't do. That's not my thing. Or also like, hey, I love that you appreciate clothes and you look amazing when we go out. I don't want to be there with you for three hours every time you go to buy a new outfit. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny. Like the pendulum kind of, kind of swings back the other way once you start getting into a serious relationship, as it should. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble is like, having to feel obligated to do what their partner wants all the time and not being able to say like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm suffocating here. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a, a significant difference between being physically apart and being emotionally apart. So while the pendulum does swing back the other way and maybe you, you know, stop being a bi girl and you go hang out with your friends again and have girls night and this and that. Right. Or you go have, you know, your guys night or you go out and, you know, watch the sports and all the things, um, watch the sports and all the things. Um, you do that, but when you come back to each other, your emotional bond is stronger than it was before. And I think that's something, that's the real gauge of the relationship, mm -hmm. is that emotional bond. It doesn't matter how, how many things you do apart or together. Your communication, your honesty, your mutual respect, and the level of trust and emotional intimacy is going to be a better predictor, right, of the longevity of the relationship. And certainly if you feel like your emotional connection is not what it used to be, that's a huge problem, mm -hmm. right? If you're saying things like, oh, you know, we don't, you know, we're always doing our own thing. That might not be the biggest issue because maybe that's just how you function, right? That might be actually okay. As long as you're coming together at some point and you're continuing to build that emotional bond. I've been in relationships where actually we do a lot of things together, but emotionally there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. So... And that, also when you do things separately, like kind of like the reason we talk about work is because like I'm not there with you throughout the day. Yeah. And so it's something interesting. I get I get a story that I wasn't part of. The same thing with after work activities, mm -hmm. the, the guys nights, the girls nights out. 
I want you to have those, or you should want your partner to have those experiences because then they have something else to talk about. And if there's something that's bothering them about you, that's a good opportunity for them to vent to their friends. And they get perspective. Totally. And usually it's something in your own favor. <laughs> if they bottle that up, it just comes yeah. steaming out in not a productive way. Yeah. I mean, real friends usually don't take your side. You know? That's a really good right? point. Right? Yeah. I mean, my friends are always kind of like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but also... This is how you are, and maybe you don't know that, and maybe, like, they're always on the side of my, you know, person at the time, my boyfriend or whatever, Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating, but they're right, you know, and they give me that perspective. You know, to give your partner space away from you is only going to benefit you, but if you have an inkling about your partner taking that space to do something that is harmful to your relationship, talk about it. Mm-hmm. And if you still don't feel better, that's that's a sign. Trust your gut. Your gut is always your friend. My favorite so far, we matched. Seemed like a really nice guy. We got along great. We went on two dates. We were getting ready to go on date number three. And some manner of bat crap crazy switch flipped in this guy's brain. And... Um, He became super obsessive after two dates, told me who I could and could not be friends with, Uh, got really upset when I was going to go visit a friend of mine in California that, like, we've known each other for a really long time. It's only ever been friends, like, whatever. He got really upset about it. He actually tried to purchase a plane ticket to meet me out there because he was so uncomfortable with me going to visit my friend. Which, even better than that, it was super close to Christmas time uh, when I went out to go visit, and he's, you know, the guy that I had been dating, uh, (laughs) I shouldn't even say that, that I went on two dates with. This guy was, you know, I I want you to uh, see if you can take some extra time off of work around Christmas. And I said, well the line of work that I have, I mean, I don't, I don't get to take time off like that um, unless I have a whole lot of years in service. So, I mean, that's, it's just not a possibility. I'm sorry. And he's like, well, no, I I really need you to figure this out because I'm going to purchase a couple of plane tickets and uh, I want you to come with me to Poland to meet the rest of my family at Christmas time. This guy was nuts. So it sounds like the, the key to all this from the time you start talking all the way until really when you die <laughs> is communication. Yeah. And like, it's seems like such an easy thing, right? Like we all know how to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. We all know how to express our thoughts and our feelings to whatever degree. Mm-hmm. It's also the most terrifying part of a relationship because we're so vulnerable. We have to be emotionally naked and hope that the other person doesn't just laugh at us. Isn't it funny how being emotionally naked is worse than being physically naked? You can't turn the lights off when you're emotionally <laughs> naked. That's the problem. Yeah, that's There's no true. like sexy it's like candlelit the lights get version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think you corrected me on this once. And this was in a previous relationship. I think I'd mentioned something and you were like, right, because nothing is you know, more unattractive than a guy being like emotionally vulnerable, right? I like sense the sarcasm, but no, you're right. Like, I think 
vulnerability is actually something to be seen as very attractive because it takes so much strength to do that. If you don't understand that, I would say try it for a second and you will see how difficult it is. And then you will see it as something that really should be respected uh, for what it is. So like part of the, the, the fear that people have when talking about things that are so personal to them isn't so much that the person's going to be like, well, no, this isn't how I feel or no, you can't feel that way. It's this invalidation where it's like your feelings don't matter. Saying things like it's all in your head or that's nothing to be concerned about or. It's not that your feelings don't matter. It's that they don't exist. Right. You're basically saying that's not a thing. What you're thinking is it like a delusion almost. And I've heard that before. And nothing is more like destructive, I think, than something like that, because it's not even just saying that like that doesn't like your feelings exist. And also they're dumb. But just to say your feelings are unfounded. Mm. Where did that come from? That's not even a thing that anyone would think. And I think that's worse. Yeah, that's a that's a real. It messes with your head. Yeah, I think that's what that's what gaslighting is, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's a huge problem. And so then, like, that's going to end the conversation right there, and that's going to not only like that conversation, but you know, if things keep going, that person's not going to bring up their concerns in the future either, or at least like not that kind of concern. And then you get into things like escalation. You know, when you don't feel like you're being heard, you don't feel like you're being validated, then you kind of bring up things that make you feel more important, sort of puff you up, posturing. Your voice will get louder. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. bring up stuff from the past that has no... And it's like, it's not productive at all, but like, it's our defense mechanism. As Mm -hmm. people, you know, being backed into a corner and feeling like we're worthless, you want to do something to to get the upper hand and it's a very defensive oh my gosh kind of move and yeah. so destructive yeah you're just throwing bricks yeah i mean at this point like you're not building anything Mm-mm. um you're actually breaking things down and even if you don't say anything like your partner can see it in your body language if you're not responding to them well if you are you know physically withdrawing you're silent you're not engaging you're not making eye contact that clearly shows them that you are not concerned with their concerns and you're not reciprocating you know that interest in whatever conflict you're discussing that can be just as destructive as anything that you say you know, I think this is something that we're probably all guilty of a little bit is when someone says something that you just interpret it through all your own filters um, and maybe you catastrophize it and you think, you know, this is you, you take it to somewhere that it shouldn't go or you take it for more than it is um, because you're kind of in your own head about about it. I think this happens, you know, in person and over text. Right. When someone doesn't respond for 20 minutes and you're like, he hates me, (laughs) I'm ugly, you know, (laughs) all these things go through your head. Um, Or if they're sitting next to you and they say things like, I don't want to go to the baseball game with you. And you're like, oh, I guess you hate me forever. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it just means that they have different interests. Right. So you kind of have to keep that perspective and keep things kind of calm. Yeah. I mean, in the same way that like we kind of talked about with looking at profiles, how you have limited information and 
our brains are just kind of wired to fill in those gaps and create a story. Absolutely. You do the same thing in the relationship where it's like if you have so little to go on and you're drawing conclusions, you just need more dots to complete that picture. Like you need more reference points. And so Mm -hmm. that's where communication really comes into play. You know, that's where you build your foundation and that's where your foundation comes into play. Mm -hmm. Right. It fills in those gaps for you and, and you build even more, you know, with trial and error, basically one, I think one of the biggest kind of take home messages from, you know, what we've been talking about is like the commitment. If you are committed to a relationship, if you really want something to work, it's going to take a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. And like more than you realize. Yeah, it, this is this stuff does not happen by default. And you know, to focus on how someone makes you feel and all of the fluttery kind of you know, very like honeymoony kind of things about it, like it's it, that's not going to get you anywhere. Relationships are always hard work, and if it doesn't feel like hard work. You're probably not there yet. Once it starts really feeling like like you're getting what you put in and it's just constant labor, then you're really building something. And if this is the person that you're going to spend a significant amount of time with, you're going to love them more than you've loved anything in this world. It will be very rewarding. And you are going to hate them more than you've hated anything in this world. So much. Points. You want to get away so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and everything in between. And so hopefully like you've got a, a you know, like you mentioned the foundation to kind of keep you guys grounded. Mm-hmm. And when that fails, there's sex. Just yeah, fuck it out. That's really important. Real important. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to save you on a lot of really, really rough nights. One more thing. My, uh, my, my very, my very, very good friend. She's practically family. She's the one who met her, uh, her fiance on, uh, match.com. She told me that she had a real rough patch in her relationship and I asked her how she got through it. And she goes, we just decided that nobody was president and we were both vice presidents. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that was it, was, it was adorable, but it was also one of the smartest fucking things that I'd ever heard. Because honestly, nobody is president. The relationship is the president and you're both vice presidents just trying to make the president happy. So be a vice president. And, and there are people I actually... I ruled out on the first date where I was like, oh no, if they follow up, I'm going to say no. And then there was one person in particular where I said, oh, I'm going to say no. Like that. He was fine. I wasn't really feeling it. And when he followed up for whatever reason, I I think I felt bad. And I changed my mind. I said yes. I was like, oh, shoot. I meant to send, I have, I have a copy-paste text. I was like, hey, great to meet you. You know, just one, I'm not ghosting. Um, I just copy paste and just say, you know, didn't really feel a connection. Thanks for a good time. Um, and I said, crap, I didn't send that to him. So when he followed up, I was like, shoot, I didn't do my usual end of the bargain. So I said, yes, I fell in love with that guy. (laughs) I didn't expect that to happen. Even like, I think when friends break up with people or stuff like that, I think sometimes the best medicine, like, and like, I mean, and I, I do not promote like using others or different things like that. I mean, I'm happy to, like, pay for my drinks or stuff like that sometimes, too. Like, I don't want to say, like, go on a bunch of dates and make men pay for you. Like, that's not that's not my deal either. But, like, I think just putting yourself out there and, like, just talking to another person sometimes is really nice. In 2017, 
I went on a Tinder, I matched with this guy on Tinder who I can't remember if he said that he was only in town for a week or two weeks or something like that, or if it just didn't say and we matched. Uh, and then he told me afterwards, but he said, you know, I'm only in town for a week for a conference, but I'm game to like meet up with anyone. Uh, and I had an extra ticket to a concert. So I was like, well, I'm going to go to this thing. It's one of my favorite bands. If you want to come, come. And we met at a bar before the concert, got a drink and talked, and he found out that I was his first Tinder date. Uh, and I felt so much pressure from that point on. Um, but it ended up being an absolutely lovely date. We got along really well and had a lot of things in common. Went to the concert, had like an amazing time. Uh, he went to the conference, which just happened to be in Baltimore, so it wasn't that far. And then after the conference, came back to D.C., and said he wanted to take me out again on, uh, you know, like a real date that he kind of actually planned out. And he had, ended up putting together a four-part date, a uh, four- or five-part date that uh, we met at the – one of the Smithsonian's has an outdoor um, sculpture gallery that has a, a replica of a Rodin statue, which is his favorite statue, so he took me over there. Uh, but each each step of the date was a clue, and I didn't know what it was until we got there. So to get to meet him for the date, he had to send me GPS coordinates, and I had to figure out where that was. Um, and then he gave me the clue of what you know the name of the the statue was. Um, and then from there, we went to get drinks and. You know, he titled each section of the date, like a different chapter in a book. So we ended up going to drinks after that. Then we went to a bookstore where we each had to gather three different books that we thought the other person should read or that was an interesting representation of one of our own characteristics or our own story. Uh, and then we went to dinner to talk about those book titles. We didn't buy them or anything, but just talk about why we suggested those books. Um, and then we went to get one final drink, um, spent the night together. And then the next day we, it was in April and we were walking to get um, coffee and breakfast and it started snowing randomly. And so we said, you know, this has been such a great weekend, such a great date, that we have to write a book about, our love affair, and we would call it Snow Falling on Tulip, and then went to brunch or breakfast, separated, and I went camping for the weekend or that day, and I came back on Sunday and turned my phone back on, and he had texted me that he had a new chapter to the book, and it was, you know, the coda, like any book has a coda at the end, it's an additional chapter, and that he had hidden something at one of the bars that we had been to and that I better get there soon so that I get it and it doesn't get, like, thrown away or something or someone else finds it. So it turned out that he was still in the neighborhood of where he had left the book. So we met at the bar, and it was one of his favorite books that he's ever read, and he had written an inscription in it and wanted to, to say goodbye to me one more time. We hugged and said, you know, we will never talk again. We wanted to make sure that, like, we didn't, follow each other on Facebook or text or anything like that and just kind of preserve the image of whatever we, we had in those couple days and in that little bubble. And I still have the book to say, he did follow me on Twitter 
like a year later, and I was like, that's against your own rules. And he was like, yeah, well, I can break my own rules, it's fine. Uh, but that's, that's been it, and it was probably the best date of my life, like of my entire life.